God, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know the hope to which Christ has called us. Amen. Please be seated. Well, thanks so much for being here on this cold day, the few and the brave. Great to see you here. If I look terribly casual as I'm speaking this morning, it's because I've elected to preach with my hands in my pockets. In our readings this morning, we have two of the great calling narratives of Scripture. We've got Samuel, the young man being trained in the temple, who hears a voice calling his name and mistakes it for his mentor, Eli. And Eli tells him to quit bothering him when he's trying to sleep, and Samuel eventually catches on that it's not Eli calling to him, but God. Samuel will go on, of course, to become one of the greatest prophets of Israel's history. The man that the nation turns to for spiritual discernment, and more than that, who finds and anoints the first two kings of Israel. And then you've got the classic calling narrative of the Gospels. It's a familiar refrain. Jesus is ambling along the beach early in his ministry, and he spies a couple of young men, probably fishermen, and without giving them any additional direction or reading them the fine print on the bottle, he invites them to follow him. I love the two different responses to Jesus in that story. Philip ups and leaves everything behind without another word, because there's just something about Jesus that he can't resist. But Nathaniel takes a little bit more convincing. For him, the call is accompanied by doubt and ambiguity. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, he asks. And Philip says, come and see for yourself. In each of these stories, we see the call of God reshaping the lives of ordinary people who go on to do extraordinary things, to live lives of profound significance and service. And it all begins with a call. I want to invite us to think about calling this morning. It's something we run into a lot in the Bible, but we don't always know what to make of it in our own stories and our own lives. Left, right, and center in Scripture, people are always being called by God to do something important, usually some task or mission, and rarely one that they actually want to do. Build a big boat and load it up with animals, Noah, because it's about to get really, really wet. Up and leave your father's country, Abraham, and I will make a great nation of you. Go to Egypt, Moses, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Upon close reading, it seems like being called by God isn't exactly a great privilege most of the time. It means things are going to change. And often that change means that life is going to get harder, not easier. It's an offer you might want to respectfully decline once you've read the job description. And lots of the Bible's great heroes do exactly that. This is perhaps why it's so difficult for us to imagine that we too are called by God like the great heroes of Scripture found themselves called. Feels a little presumptuous, doesn't it, to put ourselves in the company of Abraham and Moses and the disciples and all those who have been called by God to change the world. But if we spend a little bit of time in these stories, we find more company here than we might expect. We discover that their questions are our questions, that their doubts are familiar territory to us. They too question whether they could possibly, in all their inadequacy and ordinariness, be called by God. They too struggle to hear 
and make sense of what God wants them to do. They too wrestle with the imposter syndrome that tells them they are not up to the task. Now I know what you're thinking. Hearing about the ambiguity of calling from a guy wearing a dog collar and a white robe isn't very convincing. And it's true. It's one thing to wrestle with the question of what it means to be called by God from a pulpit, as someone whose day job is itself a vocation, where calling has a very specific and visible meaning. But it's another thing altogether to wrestle with calling from an office block, or a busy household, or a retirement community. Well, let me let you in on a secret. I have a checkered relationship with the idea of calling. She and I have been in an on-again, off-again relationship these many years of the Christian faith. You see, I was raised in a Christian tradition that took calling and vocation really seriously. The secret recipe for the good life was simply to find your calling, your unique place in the world where God wants you to make a difference and to go do that. It was a beautiful vision, actually, this wholehearted belief that God has truly called each and every individual to be a source of good in their world. Sometimes I wish more of us believed it, but it's also a vision that can be easily skewed and distorted. For me, what started as a passionate desire to make a difference in the world often decayed into an anxious, frantic pursuit of something that always seemed just out of reach. As the years ticked over and I found myself still struggling to know exactly what God wanted me to do with my life and exactly where God wanted me to do it, I grew more anxious and more frantic. Looking back on that time now, hopefully a little less frantic, though no less immature probably, I realized that the problem was that I always thought of calling as a job, a task, something that you do. God calls us because he has a job for us. And woe betide anyone whose performance evaluation doesn't come back glowing. It's a theology that starts from a place of limit, not a place of love. That's why I needed to return to the Gospels. You see, a shift occurs in the blank pages between what we might know as the Old and New Testaments. In the Hebrew Bible, it's God that does all the calling. The God of Israel singles out ordinary individuals for extraordinary tasks. And usually once that task is completed, we don't hear much from that individual anymore in the story. In the New Testament, though, and nowhere more so than in the Gospels, that role shifts. Here it isn't this unfathomable, inapproachable God that does the calling out of a whirlwind and a burning bush, but it's a person, the person of Jesus. From here on out, calling comes through the ambiguous and dismissible and ignorable presence of Jesus Christ. What we find in the calling narratives of the Gospels is not Jesus the taskmaster doling out duties and punishing anybody who doesn't live up to the standard. What he extends is not a job description, but an invitation, and quite a simple, to the sure and to the doubting, to the frantic and to the faithless, Jesus issues the same invitation, follow me. He doesn't say where they're going, and he doesn't say what they're doing, 
but rather invites them to walk in the footsteps of their rabbi wherever he leads. That vision of calling as a simple pursuit of the way of Jesus gives me something to hold on to in the ambiguity. Because calling is ambiguous, isn't it? Most of us don't get the voice of God booming out of the burning bush and telling us where to go, what to do, and how to do it. For most of us, purpose and vocation are things we stumble upon along the way. Or they're things that we don't even really think of as vocation and purpose until much later, maybe. When we look back and realize that in the routine tasks that furnish our life, like raising children, building a community, going to work, learning patience, practicing virtue, in all these things we were becoming more like Christ. Which is why I find good company in these great calling narratives of Scripture. Not because I too am a great hero of faith, but because there are no such heroes in these stories either. There is just everyday people stumbling upon significance as they find their everyday lives caught up into the redemptive purposes of God. It's people working out their call through doubt and ambiguity, through fear and anxiety. More often than not, it doesn't come in grand angelic revelations, but it's quiet, imprecise, not so much dictated from the heavens as stumbled upon and wrestled over. It isn't a blueprint for life, but an open invitation to a way of living. That is an invitation which Christ issues to us. Christ invites all who would follow him to be delivered into a life of service and justice and growth, a more fully human life. And it's a life always lived in response, that God gets there first, beckoning all into the grace that is theirs in Christ, and our response is to follow. Because what other response could you possibly make? God calls you beloved and invites you to live as if that is actually true. What better invitation could we receive? What fuller and richer life could we live? Thanks be to God.